Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Welcome back to season 12. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Luke Richardson. If you haven't had a chance to listen to my conversation with Luke, definitely jump back to it when you get a chance. Great conversation around building a demand gen team with an SEO lens. Super cool. Super cool. Speaking of super cool, in this episode, I chat with Sienna Dixon, where we discuss the power of gamification and how to introduce your customers to your product in a fun, creative experience. Whoever said B2B couldn't be fun? We're all people after all, and how we experience consumer brands can be done with B2B, at least according to Sienna. Sienna Dixon is head of strategy and commercial at Zebrar. Zebrar. I think I'm saying that right. She is relentlessly curious senior marketing executive focused on innovation where storytelling meets new and immersive technology, exploring and refining technologies like AR, VR, AI, and gamification for brands. Such a fun conversation. It was so good to connect with Sienna. Let's take a listen. Hello, Sienna. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time. Hi, Carrie. Great to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm excited to have you and for our conversation today. But before we get there, for our listeners, why don't you tell us, Sienna, what's your story? What do you do? And how did you get there? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely don't have a linear path. It's kind of gone all over the shop. Um, but sometimes that, that keeps it interesting, I guess. Yes. It keeps people guessing. So I'm currently the head of strategy and commercial for a company called Zebra, which is a creative technology studio, which I can get into a little bit later. Um, But I started my career back home in Australia in public relations, actually focused on sports and entertainment. Um, So that's kind of uh, was my grounding in in really, you know, how to to tell an interesting story. which is kind of something that I guess has followed me throughout my career and something that's been very helpful um, as as an underlying skill, I suppose. Um, And then I actually moved to London for about five years and started working for a sports technology and media company called Delta Trey, um, which is really where I kind of uh, developed an interest in cutting edge technology. So we were responsible for some of the first uh, big sports websites, um, mobile apps, um, and yeah, ultimately um, things like television graphics and that type of thing. Um, and then went in more to a, a kind of traditional digital media role at Edelman in Toronto before moving over to New York, um, where I've kind of gone into the startup worlds. Um, so first. With two immersive technology companies, one with FanView that was focused on sports and esports, um, and then ultimately with Zebra. So um, our company now works with generally large global brands like Microsoft and IBM and Salesforce, and then we're on the B2C side, uh, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, um, really a, a across industries. Um, focused on, again, immersive technologies, things like augmented reality, virtual reality, and, and gamification. You're not in New York anymore, though. 
I'm not. No. So, <laughs> thank you. Yes, to just round up my story, which is again not linear. Um, I ultimately ended up in London more actually because my husband's work brought us over here about five months ago. So uh, we, I, I'm still with Zebra, still focused on, on US-based clients. So as you can imagine, my uh, timetable is a little bit all over the shop. Um, but yes, we're now in London, in South South London, which I absolutely love, and and our family is loving as well. So yeah, very happy here. I love full circle. I've done. I've had a similar journey in terms of moving away and going back and moving away, and um, yeah, which is nice yeah. to sort of return somewhere that's familiar but also new. Like it feels new again, which is fun. Totally, totally. It really does feel like that. It's actually been the easiest landing pad for sure because you know you have those relationships from when you were younger and you know your way around the town it is you know even silly things like how public transport works in a particular city just makes it feel a little bit more at home and comfortable so um yeah it's been great let's let's sit here for a second because i think this is going to become more less unusual i feel like we're a bit on the cutting edge sienna where moving around for us is no big deal we've been remote for a long time but mm. I think this is going to become pretty standard for people where they're going to pick up their lives and move around knowing that they don't need to stay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I've been working remotely since really since I got to New York for the last five years at least. Um, and the first couple of years when it, when you're one of the few people doing it, I, I found it quite hard and, and somewhat isolating um, obviously, the last couple of years where it's almost felt like almost everyone who've, who's had the privilege, I guess, of, of being able to work remotely, um, you know, it, it's, made, it's made things easier for me. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the world because um, you're kind of working under the same parameters, I suppose. But particularly as a working mum, working parents, I should say, really, it, it's been... I mean, apart from all the horrendousness that's associated with COVID, from that point of view, it's been a bit of a blessing. Um, certainly for my husband, he's been able to be a lot more involved in, you know, bringing up our son. Um, and even myself, you know, just removing the, the travelling to and from work um, gives us an extra, you know, potentially hour each day on either side with, with him. So that's been that's been wonderful and and it's great to see that now this hybrid working environment seems to be sticking around um, because you do get more more flexibility in some circumstances so yeah no it, it's great to see it's been such a shift and it'll be interesting to see if this is really for the long term or not I agree so uh, I work I work crazy hours too what are your what's your timetable normally on a typical day at the office at the Oh, yeah, it's, it's a bit crazy. Um, so uh, a lot of my colleagues are based in Sydney, Australia. Um, I'm Australian, so you probably picked up at this point. <laughs> um, so I basically will touch base with them first thing in the morning when I get up, um, just to make sure nothing's crashing and burning. I'll, my son will get up from seven. I'll, you know, make him breakfast, take him to childcare for eight, then jump back on the phone with my colleagues in Australia I then had this beautiful period in the middle of the day from around 12 till 2 p.m. where my colleagues are asleep and my clients in the U.S. are asleep <laughs> or at least haven't clocked on. Um, so that's kind of my time to 
sometimes time to myself, other times just time to get work done, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And then my um, East Coast US clients start waking up at two and um, my West Coast clients don't end up going to to sleep until 2 a.m. But I usually clock clock off around 11 p.m. So it's um it's a juggle. It's a juggle. Yeah. 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 I uh, so I thought I was crazy, but <laughs> with with Australia and the US. I do, um, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, it then. Wow. That's a whole new challenge for sure. I do um I usually take, I'm, I'm so lucky to have you at, on my time zone. That's so unusual for me. Normally I take the mornings off and I don't jump on till noon. Um, oh, but I do nice. 12, yeah. 12, no. 12 to five. And then I take a break with my kids and family until they go to bed. And then I do eight to 10. So I, um, yeah, I appreciate the, the long haul. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, sorry to take your morning away from no, you. No, <laughs> I love this. No, actually, this is the one day where I don't work. I gave myself a break one day a week to not work uh, in the in the um, oh right yeah. at night, so that I yeah, because that's a it's hard to do every day. So I do totally. on Tuesdays and Fridays. Okay. I I do a normal nine to five. So oh great, I try and do. I actually try and do that on Thursdays and Fridays as well. So I I totally hear you. You do need a break. Um, you do. But- <laughs> <laughs> Working till 11, like trying to shut off from work and go to bed is like (laughs) really hard. Oh, totally. That's the the hardest part for me is, you know, if if I have an 11 p.m. call and then, you know, ideally you go to bed straight after the call, but then my brain, I'm not very good at switching off my brain straight away. So then it's like 2 a.m. and I'm still thinking about the call. I'm like, no, I've got (laughs) five hours till I have to get up till Bo wakes up. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yes. Right now, I it's great having the flexibility with with my son, like being able to drop him off and be with him in the morning and then pick him up because um, I'll take off between five and seven to pick him up and cook dinner and put him to bed. So, yeah. you know, that's magic time um, that I might not otherwise get if I had your traditional nine to five corporate that's job. So, so yeah, so there's benefit. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Okay, well, um, Sorry for the tangent, everyone, but it's a unique situation that I thought, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of you are thinking about what your future could look like in this new world of remote work. And, uh, and this is an option, you know, to, to really go be wherever you want to be and still have the job you have. It's, uh, it's a whole new world. It is a whole new world. Yeah, definitely positives and challenges to, to sure. set up for sure. So that leads me perfectly into my next question for you, Sienna, which is, and it doesn't have to be in in lines with remote working. It, it can be really in whatever capacity of your job, but what's one challenge you're currently facing? Um, so it probably, it probably is really essentially that, um, balancing mom life and, and working life, particularly with these very bizarre hours. Um, I think I'm gradually getting better at it. He's only two. So I like, I almost still consider myself pretty new at this, even though it's mm-hmm. been two years, but it's just been the most wild two years because he was born two months before the pandemic hit. And, you know, we've moved country now three times because of because of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's taken me a while to kind of adjust and figure out how to fit everything in and, and how to compartmentalise. And when I'm with, I'm with him and when I'm at work you know I'm not having the the guilt trip mom thing hanging over me which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't um 
So I'd say that's probably, from a personal standpoint, probably the biggest challenge that I face on a daily basis. It's so true. It's so hard. Yeah, which I mean, you know all about. You have twins. Oh my God, that's a whole nother level. (laughs) Yeah, and I I agree with you, especially that five, that five to seven, that five to eight, where we're cooking dinner and trying to be with our family, but our whole team is online and they're they have questions and they're trying to get a hold of us and they know that they they know that they have to wait. But for us, like at least for me, I know they're there and I know I know my inbox is filling up and so you know, trying to like leave my phone (laughs) far away. Yeah, exactly. I really try to like, it's something that I'm trying to be quite strict with. Like I don't, I I just can't look at my phone because Mm -hmm. if I see something, I can't let it go. (laughs) So I just have to literally like put it in the drawer and then (laughs) step away for two hours. And I mean, in my, my line of work, nothing like generally, the world is not crashing and burning, <laughs> you know. Um, people's lives are usually not at stake because of it. So I kind of have to just do. put things in perspective a little bit um, and know that there's only, you know, Bo's only going to be this age once and I don't want to miss it. Um, so, yeah, but it's, sure. hard. it's really hard. Yeah, I hear In terms of what you do now, which yeah. sounds like so much fun. It is fun, fun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, we yeah, have pretty niche, but um, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's really new. Mm, mm, it is, yeah, kind of, yes. <laughs> it, it's new in the sense that it's actually like picking up. Totally. And it's, you know, game, I guess we're kind of more focused on gamification in, in this um chat it's something that's kind of been around for a long time and has meant different things at different periods and I think like in the early 2000s it was a very sexy topic and and now it's kind of coming back into fashion in probably using in in different ways um particularly as even things like the metaverse and stuff is coming you know a very hot topic it's all very intertwined um, but we saw a real increase and in interest in it since COVID, actually, um, because people are really trying to look for new and interesting ways to engage with people who are, you know, either um, virtual or at least in a hybrid environment. So it, it's been really interesting seeing this shift, you know. I got to say, I just read an article. I mean, we're not going to talk too, well, it's, it's all intertwined, like you said. So we're going to, we're going to go wherever the conversation takes us. Um, <laughs> but I have to say that I did read an article yesterday, actually it came out in our newsletter about the metaverse. And mm-hmm. I was shocked by the numbers in terms of engagement. Like it, it's big. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's such a ethereal topic at the moment, because there's like, some people believe that like it exists. And, you know, I, I guess if you, if, if Meta is the owner of it, and we're talking about, you know, Horizons, which is essentially what they're establishing their metaverse to be, um, you know, as one metaverse, at least. Um, yes, the, the numbers are quite staggering, at least the numbers that they're putting out there. I think it was like 300,000 people were actively involved in it the last time that I checked, which is 
a lot for something that most people think doesn't really even exist yet. Um, but, and again, sorry, I don't want to go too off topic and down a rabbit hole because this, this whole metaverse topic is just something in and of itself. It's, I could talk about it for three hours straight and, you know, get very boring quickly. But um, on the flip side, if, you know, you believe the metaverse to be a, a decentralised environment that isn't owned by anyone, that, you know, maybe there are multiple worlds, um, then it's hard to say, like, what the engagement is at this point or even if it exists um, in and of itself. So, yeah, it's, it is interesting. But in terms of people's engagement with metaverse or metaverse-like environments like VR and AR, um, it's huge. The engagement is, is crazy and it's only becoming um, more highly engaged with, particularly the younger generations absolutely love this kind of um, digital persona and, you know, creating a life that, um, you can't otherwise have in, in real life. So, yeah, it's super interesting to me. I, I just, yeah, find it absolutely fascinating. Do you think that's, so I think you said a couple things that are really interesting. Um, one is that it's for, it seems like the younger generations gravitating towards it, which is why maybe some of us feel like it's not real because it's not for us, um, older people. I'm, Bucketing yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I'm in that. I'm in that bucket for sure. <laughs> um, uh, so I think that's interesting because. And do you think? And you said that the pandemic probably, you know, sort of helped this thing explode. Given that, in trying to find other ways of connection and engagement. Mm. Oh, definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, it accelerated its momentum for sure. Do you think it's going to stick around, or do you think it's sort of like? post-pandemic sort of happy reaction um look I do I mean uh you know our whole business I guess is involved in it so I guess I believe in it (laughs) um yeah look I do I I think because it's again like we're we're talking about this in such a like um ethereal way theoretical way at the moment because I mean for me um I, I actually I don't think the metaverse exists right now in its purest form, in, in the form that, you know, people are talking about. The, for the metaverse, I think there are right now isolated, okay, you could call them metaverses, but isolated digital environments like virtual reality environments or augmented reality environments that um, people are involved in in isolated areas. So that could be you know, through video, through attending a concert in a video game, which is, you know, something that is, has become real and like crazy engagement with those types of experiences. I, I just find them fascinating. Um, or, you know, even a virtual reality training environment. What I think actually makes the metaverse in the way that people are talking about it um, theoretically is when those, let's call them little mini worlds or universes start communicating with one another. And there's some kind of framework that allows that communication to happen. Um, And I definitely think that is on the cards. I don't think it's going to be the next five years, but I think it's maybe 10. Um, And I mean, things grow pretty exponentially usually. So I think that will ultimately happen. One one way that um, Zuckerberg, for better or worse, you know, how much you trust or believe him, one way that he describes it that I actually do think has legs is he calls it an embodied internet. 
So like right now, you know, we experience the internet through an interface, but ultimately the metaverse allows you to be part of that. So you're kind of just doing the same thing that you might do. I mean, and, and more, but let's take it at a base level. You're doing the same thing that you, same types of things that we, you would do on the internet, like communicating with people or researching or purchasing things, but you're actually involved and experiencing that as a world. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty interesting and, and cool concept um, that I, I don't think is going anywhere. Like, I think especially being older generation, you know, I, I'm not a gamer necessarily. Um, you know, social media freaks me out. I'm very nervous about how my son is going to grow up, in a, you know, yeah. um, social media world first. Um, and, you know, all the complexities that 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 is involved with that. Um, but there's there's no reason, that, you know, we we already have almost, well, especially young people, they they have a digital self and a real self. And so I don't see a huge stretch between that kind of becoming unified, which is, I think, ultimately what will happen in, in the metaverse. You can be yourself in the metaverse or you can be a fantastical mythical creature, you know, and, and um, kind of express yourself in, in ways that, that aren't otherwise possible. But there's also a huge dark side to that, um, which, you know, I think we have to be really wary of going in, particularly as content creators for, for worlds like this. Sorry, I really went on a big tangent there. <laughs> no, I think that's so helpful because I do think, uh, you know, I, I do think as marketers, we're going to need to figure out how to engage with the new generation, whether we want to or not. And I think there's been a lot of friction with how to do that. Um, and so as we think about, even as B2B marketers, as we think about how we're going to connect with this new generation to bring them in as new marketers, as we think about how we're going to engage with them as buyers for B2B products, as we think about mm-hmm. events and traveling, like uh, that we are going to have to be hybrid because we're going to mm-hmm. have to cross generations. And in doing so, one generation is going to be a-okay with traveling and they want to meet in person and they want to have that tactile feeling because it's what we know versus Mm. the younger generation who grew up inside of a pandemic, who isn't used to being around so many people all the time, who want to have more control over their world. They're going to potentially want to be virtual. And so we're going to have to think about what events, what connection looks like moving yeah. forward as we br- as we create this bridge we're going to have to create this bridge it's going to have to happen yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely and you know i i have faith because i think the younger gen like gen z we'll call them um you know they have this whole new um like threshold of morality and like yeah. understanding of social implications and and you know even like a vocabulary that I certainly didn't have when I was their age. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I just have a lot of faith in in their morality and, and the way that they think about things like um, 
yeah, so, social and political and environmental aspects. Um, so I think I really I hope and I have faith that they'll be able to create a framework that um, that makes sense and is good for society overall. Um, yeah, but no, you're quite right. There, we're going to have to figure out a way of of being able to. I don't know if it's coming to a happy medium, but at least being able to establish a, a path where we can connect with one another and and make communication available for for people at different levels of this. Sorry, that didn't really yes. make sense. No, I totally <laughs> did. I totally agree. And it, I think there's going to be people who are going to want to dip their toe in and sort of just like see it and go, cool, I saw it. Like I'm good with never going back there. And there's going to be people where <laughs> totally. that's all they want totally. to do, right? There's going to be a spectrum of it. And so I think as, as marketers, we really need to think about how we, you know, I remember when social media first sort of started and, and Facebook ads and Facebook groups mm -hmm. and, you know, that all sort of was so new and marketers were trying to figure this thing out. And I remember sitting in the room, we were coming up with a campaign for, um, it was yo, it was for yo play. They do those breast cancer awareness campaigns and they were talking mm -hmm. about building this whole social campaign and raising money for engagement. And I was like, well, how are you going to activate the audience, which is probably more so of those who aren't going to engage, but are going to be watching. Yeah. Mm. And so it completely flipped how we needed to, uh, you know, create, create the awareness and the, and using that audience as activation. Right. So completely. I think this is going to be similar where we're going to have to think about in, the, in the short term. Yeah. In the short term, there's going to be less people who are going to be involved in the, or going to be those, those watchers, those toe dippers, right? So how are we going to, you know, create, create an, an immersive. How do you get involved? Yeah. yeah. No, and, and the thing, I mean, social media is a perfect example um, of how I imagine the evolution to be. And I think it is an evolution. It's, it's not like with the metaverse in particular, I think the same can be said with social media because it's all about interaction with other people like social media cannot exist with one person like it's mm -hmm. you know it's all about communities and the metaverse is the same thing it is going to be an evolution um and so yes there will be brands that and already there are brands that are you know all in on on this um and b2b i mean even some b2b brand b2b brands are definitely you know very gung-ho on this as well um but yeah, I think the evolution is is an interesting part um, or piece to the puzzle, you know, because it it's not like it exists one day, it doesn't exist one day and then it does the next. It's going to evolve over time. And um, I think the important thing for brands is to really establish like what is the what is their place in this? Um, and what what are they really bringing to the table? You know? Um, don't just be in the metaverse because that's like, where you're meant to be like what do you what are you bringing of value and benefit yeah. um and i think maybe that's where the metaverse is it m will be quite pivotal because you have to have a point to be there you can't just have you know some static content like living in this virtual existence there, there's got to be a point for someone to engage because the user has to be actively involved 
um, they're choosing to engage with the content in this world or not. So as a brand, you've got to really think about, okay, how do I make this beneficial for them to, to actively engage with, with me and my narrative? It's got to be incredibly intentional. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I also feel like, and you, you're the expert here, see, and this is so like, so far into me. Um, <laughs> me too, but honestly. I, <laughs> but I feel, well, yeah, uh, I, I'm the toe dipper. I haven't even put the god, like I haven't even put the headset on yet. Like I'm, I'm just wrapping my brain around how to even, yeah, how, how, where to even start. Um, but I also think that this isn't, this isn't going to be a blip either. Like you said, you you said like this is going to be the long haul, and so, you know, in terms of that intentionality, it's it's how do you take something on like this and you make it um, sustainable, mm. right? Where you can't mm. just show up and then disappear and then show up and then disappear. It's, it's not. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and the kind of um, the broad advice that, that we give to clients is that if, you know, first of all, if you're involved in any kind of mixed reality, whether that's um, web AR or social AR or, or virtual reality, reality at the kind of more extreme level, and there's not many, companies really hugely involved in, in that arena. Um, so definitely no one feel bad if they're not. <laughs> um, but it, but even social media to a point, um, particularly um, things like Snapchat and Instagram, where you know you are, in, if you are involved with things like filters or, or anything like that, that is augmented reality, uh, you know, social augmented reality. Um, you are dipping your toe in the water. You're you're getting familiar with these underlying technologies that ultimately are, are being used to create the metaverse. So, you know, you're probably not as far behind as you think um, because you know if you use Snapchat or Instagram or even Facebook, you're you you're getting comfortable with these kinds of technologies that will ultimately create it. Um, and and we certainly don't tell you know encourage brands to go completely like invest everything you have in, into what your metaverse experience will be like because I completely agree it's not necessarily sustainable and we don't know how fast this thing is going to grow um, but if you're creating small um, small immersive experiences so whether that's like an interactive website or as I said like a social filter or um, even you're you're a you're hosting a virtual event. These are little, little almost mini experiments that you're developing and creating these virtual worlds and your virtual identity, which is really what you need to figure out what that is in, in order to be involved in the metaverse. You're experimenting and you're getting involved and you're getting comfortable and you're seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, and the the second piece is is also experimenting with. Um, virtual communities that already exist and seeing if your brand, you know, seeing if your brand has a place with them. So whether that is, you know, um, engaging with people on Twitch or, or any social media platform or um, video games or uh, any kinds of existing virtual communities. Um, yeah, I, I think it's all about testing and learning at this at this stage. Um, it, like anything with marketing, particularly digital marketing, you're you're setting up hypothesis, you're testing it to see if it works, um, and then you can go a little bit deeper the next time, invest in a little bit more. 
so that that's kind of the general the broad advice that we that we give our clients in in terms of how to get involved. I think that's so helpful. Oh, that's um, good. <laughs> in terms of because part I feel like how like most of these things start. You mentioned Twitch. You mentioned a lot of gaming platforms. I feel like even with you know people getting involved with the metaverse are probably first engagement there is probably in some line of, of playing a game mm. um, with with like-minded individuals. In terms of that, I mean, gamification has been around forever, um, but I think yeah. it's been around forever because it's so powerful. So, and it, and it is sort of that, that place where creates an introduction to something new. So what is it, what is it about gamification? Why is it, I want to yeah. say effective, but it's. Why is it powerful? Right word. Yeah. Powerful, yeah. Yeah, totally. And it look, it, it's powerful. So just for those that I guess are looking for a definition of, of gamification, because it can mean different things to, to different people, I guess it's, so this is really applying game mechanics, things like challenges and competitions um, and even creativity to non-game environments. So it's used a lot in education and training, but it's being used more and more commonly in, in marketing, absolute sales and marketing, and you know, almost as a um, extra leg to content, to content marketing. Um, I think the reason that it's so powerful if it's done right is that good games don't start with the game mechanics. So game mechanics being things like leaderboards or levels or badges, which are all, you know, very important tactics. They don't start with the game mechanics. They start with the core drivers. Um, and, yeah, game, gamification is all about tapping into intrinsic and sometimes extrinsic motivators in people. But if you're tapping into the intrinsic in particular, then it tends to be particularly powerful. Um, so... We're dealing with things like, um, yeah, creativity and feedback or social influence or um, even, even things like loss aversion um, or even creating meaning or a larger meaning um, to, to kind of a journey or adventure. There's actually a whole, a whole framework of like eight different core drivers that I can go into if you like, but <laughs> I don't know how deep you want to go. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think the power is actually involved in um, in the psychology of it. It sounds like story. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, definitely story has has a big is hugely involved in it. Um, you're, you're trying to yeah, you're trying to tap into what motivates people essentially, and story is kind of yeah, I guess in the in the framework that I'm referring to is definitely one of those eight pillars, so to speak, um, where you're definitely, you're trying to create meaning around something in particular. And, and gamification and immersive technology, which is kind of everything that we do, is definitely all about narrative and about story and about taking the audience and giving them an active role in the story. So instead of receiving, um, receiving information, you're choosing to engage and becoming part of that storytelling and information, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, which is why I think a lot of games have had it. Um, like I watch the games my husband plays and they're incredibly like, Elaborate. they sort of scared me because they're so open world and there's so much decisions that you can make as a player that yeah. create your own journey that it's like, it's so, it's so big. Yeah, totally. I mean, video <laughs> games are a whole, well, yeah, it's yeah. quite amazing really, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely, definitely the story. Um, and in video games, I think, you know, they're almost infinite, which is why they can become quite addictive and why I think we need to be a bit careful, particularly when we're speaking about its role in marketing. Um, for me, I think it's important to have, you know, what they call like a finite game that has to be an endpoint when we're involving in a marketing. Otherwise, it can kind of cross that line into addictive territory. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it is really fascinating. Beginning and an end. Yeah. I love, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm good with that. I like. <laughs> and then, like you know, yeah, you don't want people, uh, particularly, yeah, when, as I said, when you're dealing with children, definitely you, you need an end point to it. Um, you know, and I guess this is where uh, the social media can, can, which can you know, they definitely employ gamification tactics and, and potentially this is where gamification can get a, a bad name um, is because, you know, things like the endless scroll or it, it, simple things like that, um, which is all around game mechanics, um, there is infinite. So have, having an endpoint in things like consumption thresholds, particularly with children, but I actually think important for adults as well, um, those kinds of things really need to be employed a lot more than they are. So one thing we talked about in our in our original conversation um, prior to recording was in terms of gamification, um, there was two roads, so to speak, that converge. One is testing a scientific theory, which you mentioned earlier around the advice you give clients in terms of testing and learning. Um, and the second is applying the values and, and sort of having those things come together in terms of gamification, knowing that those are sort of two big pillars, testing and learning is definitely a good place to start, but, but where's the how in that? Where do you, yeah, where do you get the yeah. hypothesis from? Yeah. Um, so, so as you said, like the story is really important. So you'll create, there's almost kind of two pieces to it. The environment is one or the story. Um, so you need to, to have a clear picture of, of what that looks like. And then there's the interaction. So what do you want the, the audience to do? So in a very kind of like tactical, um, from a tactical standpoint, uh, again, depending on what kind of core driver you're tapping into, um, there are different tactics that you might use. But certainly things like um, involving status competition reputation so that's where things like leaderboards come into play um so you know as silly as it sounds like you know point scores are a feedback mechanism um and even if it's not attached to an extrinsic prize as it were you know it's still giving you that positive your audience is that positive kind of feedback loop which is which is really inherent in all of this um, rewards are absolutely uh, tend to be something, you know, it, it's 
they can be as simple as kind of a coffee voucher or something far more elaborate, elaborate than that. Um, but it's something that you receive and you feel positive about. And that feeling positive part is that key ingredient, really. Um, and then there's other tactics, like things like loss aversion. So, for example, people strongly prefer avoiding losses than acquiring gain, gains, which is an interesting concept. So are you giving people points to, to begin with? And, you know, the potential by not engaging with it is that they lose them. Um, or are you kind of doing it in reverse where they're trying to build up point scores and, you know, trying to top the leaderboard um, and, and that type of thing? Does that make sense? Of the Yeah, um, it does. Uh, I think it's an important piece to your point of gamification and the um, mechanics of it. One of the things you mentioned um, that I think is is really interesting in all of this is the is the testing and learning piece of it and the data piece of it. And so I'm get I'm my, you know, <coughs> my gut tells me the most important piece of data from this is everything you're saying in terms of its engagement, right? I mean, is that when you're looking yeah. for the success of this thing, it really comes down to our people yeah, so some using it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the types of metrics that we look at um, tend to be things like engagement rates or dwell time or even number of users or time spent, you know, on app or on website or th those kinds of things. Um, in terms of kind of what we see in terms of outcome, you know, the reason people tend to get excited by gamification, particularly in marketing is, you know, in marketing, we're really trying to tell our story in a, in a new way that's going to be meaningful to the audience and going to create a lasting impression. And I think that's where gamification really uh, is such a cool and, and very powerful tactic. Um, stats show that that information is remembered 3.5 times better when it's reinforced through a game and our, and our statistics certainly mirror that. Um, and it really, from a conversion point of view, so they're often so our, our clients will often use engagement as a metric, but even we're seeing conversion as a metric more and more these days. Um, and, and our data shows anywhere from an increase from fifteen to percent to over seven hundred percent in terms of increased conversion. And it really depends what that conversion is, I suppose. Um, you know, is that actually a sale or is that, um, you know, a sign up or, or whatever that might be. Um, but yeah, the, in terms of metrics, it's, it's quite astounding to see how powerful even simple little tactics, gamification tactics um, can be. And it's got to be rooted. I think everything you've been saying too is that one, it's got to make sense for your business. I mean, I think any business probably Definitely. can pick this up depending on what kind of content they're trying to create. But something you've always been very clear about too is whether you're talking about the metaverse, whether you're talking about gamification, even in our talks before this was, it's got to be rooted in, in your values and the story you're trying to tell. So it's really got to align with, with your own outcomes before 100%. you even sort of begin. Absolutely. I mean, as we said, we don't just like any marketing strategy, you know, you're not just throwing tactics out there for the sake of it. You know, you've got to, the first thing to do is really understand, again, what is the point of this? Um, 
and, and how is it being used? What and absolutely, what is the story that's being told? Um, it, it's it is interesting as we as it relates to B two B as well. I mean, it almost is. I think when people hear gamification, they often presume that it is a solely B two C kind of um, uh, uh, space, if you will. Um, but I think actually these days more and more of our clients are, are actually in, in the B2B space. Um, and usually they're coming to us because either there's two, two reasons they'll often come to us. One, um, they're trying to increase, increase engagement with their audiences, particularly hybrid and virtual since COVID. Um, and often with B2B, they have complex subject matters. So they're trying to almost simplify that underlying message in a way that is going to be meaningful and, and memorable. So we will often create kind of a much more simplified narrative um, as the underlying kind of game narrative. Uh, and then within the game, create smaller kind of experiences that gradually explain and show the benefits of what that B2B product or service might be. So over time, the, their audiences are engaging in something that's fun and innovative and new for them. So it, it kind of taps into um, those intrinsic motivators and, and thus memorable, but they're also learning things in piecemeal ways along the way. Um, and especially when you're dealing with complex subject matters as you often are in B2B, um, I guess, yeah, it, it's, it's being done in, in such a different way that, that it makes it fun and, and a lot more um, able to digest. Let's bring this full circle for everyone um, as our last sort of moment here, Sienna, before I get into my people first rapid fire questions. Um, what is this thing? I mean, I, I feel like we've been talking about, I mean, the metaverse, I think we've made clear in terms of this virtual reality. Um, but in terms of gamification and how this thing could live, uh, I mean, can it live basically on any piece of content? Does it have to be a certain kind of piece of content? Like, how do you bring yeah, no, this thing to life? Good question. So, I mean, we've been talking about gamification more like theoretically, I suppose. Um, it can be, you know, you're employing gamification tactics within existing content. So even like you're probably engaging with gamification on a daily basis. Things like when you go onto LinkedIn and it says you're 50%, you know, you've completed your profile 50% or, um, you know, essentially all of, all of the social media um, platforms definitely employ gamification tactics. Or if you like Duolingo, that's a perfect example. They are absolutely phenomenal at employing gamification tactics. So they use leaderboards and badges and leveling up. Um, and, you know, comparison against um, related people very, very well. So it can be employing those types of things within things like content marketing. Um, we do a lot of um, standalone mobile games. Um, that, that's kind of just, ten, that's just kind of something that, that we specialize in. So that's where I'm leaning. Um, but we also do a lot of, of physical gamified um, experiences as well. Um, so it can, yeah, it almost, it can almost live anywhere. It could be 
almost any form of content marketing, um, physical, digital, or hybrid. As you say, it, it's all about um, establishing that narrative and purpose is the most important first step. It sounds like from a B2B standpoint, the easiest sort of intro into applying gamification to what we're doing on a regular basis is, is really just thinking about how to give visual feedback. Sure. Like, yeah, I think that's, that, would, that is a great first step. Absolutely. And how, how do you involve your audience in your story? You know, how do you get them to actively make decisions and determine how far they want to go into your narrative? And once they're in it, how do you encourage them to go deeper through things, through positive feedback loops, essentially? Yeah, I mean, you could almost even just apply this through the architecture of your website of exactly helping totally. people make decisions for the next piece of content they want and keep them in, engaged and involved based off of of what they're currently reading and the intent of what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, that it seems like no double, that's what we do, but also like that positive loop is- Totally, I, completely. And, and yeah, I completely agree. Even, you know, making sure there's a, a very clear next path in, in your website, absolutely stripping it back to bare bones or making, you know, I guess it, gamification is almost a form of UX at the end of the day, at the end of the yeah. day, interactive UX. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a perfect example. Oh my gosh, Sienna, I learned so much today. I have a whole new <laughs> vocabulary. Like I wrote down so many words. I, um, uh, it's, it's a whole world, isn't it? Yeah. Immersive. Yeah, I went down a lot of uh, rabbit holes there. <laughs> Social media first world, like what? <laughs> virtual identity, virtual communities, like there it is. It's got its own language, which is really, um, really interesting and, uh, and really helps. I feel like once you have the language for something, it makes it much clearer. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it feels solid. Completely, yeah. completely. And I think like, I don't want to go, go down another rabbit hole now, but you just sparked my brain. <laughs> but I think that's where the metaverse is so confusing for people because it's like they put this label on something that kind of exists, like virtual reality and metaverse is almost being used interchangeably right now. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, it's just totally confused people. Like what? But the, I don't understand metaverse. And for other people, it's like, oh no, it's just created a name for something that already exists. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, language is so important. It's so important. It's almost like, can something exist without a name, you know, without, or without being able to talk about it, but anyway, that's a whole theoretical <laughs> discussion. For no, it's just, I'm just so grateful for this conversation and for having new language around what the, all this means and feeling it, it's starting to take shape for me where it was just this, right. like yeah. you said, this sort of ethereal thing that lived out there that I couldn't quite grasp and it's starting to make sense. So I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you for joining me before we close out. I do have, um, cause you're more than a marketer. Like you said, you got, you even have a two-year-old, which definitely makes you more than a marketer, but <laughs> curtain back and just understand you a bit more as a person. See, and I have three questions for you. Ready? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. First question for you is, 
Uh, have you picked up any new hobbies in these last two years, given the pandemic? Oh, gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a two, you have a two-year-old. So you yeah, I'm um, like figuring out oh, how to teach him new things and keep my sanity and teach him things <laughs> and thank yous. <laughs> Getting to eat new foods. That's kind of my hobby at the moment, as sad as that sounds. <laughs> no, it's not sad. It's a, it's an undertaking. So absolutely. Um, and in the middle of a pandemic, no less, is it doesn't add a whole other complexity to it. So absolutely. absolutely. Children are absolutely a hobby. I would back that up. Um, okay, next question for you. If you could be with your team in Australia or meet your clients in the States, if you could be with them in person and maybe you will be, and I'm looking forward to, um, but what song would you want playing overhead to sort of set the vibe of the engagement? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a great question. Um, oh, well, my, my, my instant reaction was some form of Mariah Carey song. Cause she is like my secret obsession in terms of music. I'm obsessed with love ballads and she's, <laughs> Like yes. the ultimate, it's so cringe and lame, but I just love her. Um, so, so like maybe let's go with like Hero. <laughs> oh, yes, let's do it. All right, I'm adding that to our Spotify Powerful playlist. Throwback. <laughs> Throwback Thursday, we're going to play Hero. Exactly. <laughs> my music case has not evolved since uh, I was in my teens, so there you go. <laughs> same, same. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I love I love the 90s. It's so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's cathartic. <laughs> it's cathartic. All right. Now, last question for you, Santa. Um, clearly, you are not uh, afraid of travel, um, having moved <laughs> three times in the last <laughs> few years. Um, but if you could go travel to somewhere that wasn't moving and uh, anywhere in the world without any anything in your way, whether that's testing or vaccinations or germs in general, if you could go anywhere, where would it be and why? Um, that's another great question as well. I think Morocco is top, is Marrakesh, Morocco is um, top of the list. I just think the culture is so interesting and beautiful and I really don't know a lot about it. Um, I guess that's one of the best ways to really learn about new culture is kind of experiencing it. I think it's probably tougher with a small one but um yeah I, I hopefully doable in the next few years yeah <laughs> amazing amazing well I'll have to um I'll have to connect on your Instagram so I can follow your pictures and live by Carrie <laughs> yeah exactly there you go <laughs> oh Sienna it was so good to talk to you thank you so much for joining me and and I learned so much. I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was a really, really interesting conversation. You made me think very deeply about things. So it's, it was wonderful. Thank you. That was my conversation with Sienna Dixon. If you'd like to connect with Sienna, you can find her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can shoot her a message at sienna at zibrar.com. If you love spearheading the intersection of tech and content, she'd love to chat about new concepts, brainstorm how to bring new ideas to life, or discuss what it's like to work in immersive technology. Definitely, definitely hit up Sienna. Oh, Sienna, thank you for joining me. It's so awesome to meet you and to have this conversation. 
In the next episode, I chat with Seku White. Seku just joined me on the live roundtable where we discuss what it means to be audience first. I asked him to join me based on this conversation and you'll see why. So stay on and autoplay will take you there. Thank you for tuning into season 12. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our digital marketing agency that helps cybersecurity and data management platforms get found via transparent, measurable digital marketing. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply.